Hello, and welcome to a special edition of First Importance, the official podcast of First Baptist Church in West Memphis, Arkansas. I'm Pastor Josh Hall. And now let's go to our Bible study already in progress as Dr. Jimmy Milliken and I look at the subject of eschatology. Well, last week I got a little carried away with trying to set the background and the introduction to the tribulation period. And so we didn't really get into the meat of the outline that or the handout. And I'm quite certain that some of you did not uh, bring the outline back with you. We probably should have uh, duplicated more. So I'll try to be as clear as possible that you can follow without if you don't have if you don't have the handout to follow along with me with the major points. But uh, this is the tribulation period. Now, as uh, we've already indicated the various topics that I consider to be uh, a part of eschatology, the only one that we really have left out is uh, what I call death and the intermediate state. Now, that's, uh, that may be the first thing that you and I face in the future, death. And the intermediate state means our state of existence between the death of the body and the resurrection of the body. I do believe there's a state of conscious existence apart from the body. So death and the intermediate state really is the first topic in a study of eschatology. And the rest of these topics are part of what I feel, feel to be uh, essential to a, a proper view of last things, the doctrine of last things. That's what eschatology is about. And so we're in the topic of the tribulation period. Uh, brother, we've, we've, uh, we have, uh, I gave an introductory lecture and Brother Josh has dealt with two of the topics and that is uh, the, the uh, rapture and uh, the judgment seat of Christ which has to do with our accountability. And then after the rapture, there will be a period of time, a brief period of time on this earth after we're gone. I do, my, my viewpoint of uh, eschatology is that the rapture, which is the coming of Christ, I sometimes refer to it as the first phase of the coming of Christ. When we, sp when we speak about the second coming of Christ, there is a coming for his saints after which there's a coming back to the earth with his saints. And in between this period, these two phases, is what we call the tribulation period. And uh, really this is, a, this is a period of time that I believe is covered in the book of Revelation through chapters 6 through 19. That's the largest section of the book of Revelation, chapters 6 through 19. And in chapter 6 through 19, I see four events unfolding during this period of time. I'm going to try to cover two of those events tonight. There is the rise of the Antichrist, a coming world ruler. And then there's God's dealings redemptively with the Jews again. And then there is the persecution of the saints who will uh, become believers during this particular period of time. And then fourthly, there is the judgments of God upon the Antichrist and his kingdom, uh, which is de described in the book of Revelation as the great day of his wrath to come. 
And so that's how I see chapter 6 through 19 of the book of Revelation. And these four developments are really repeated over and over again throughout that section of the book of Revelation. And then these points, these topics, these developments are referred to in various other passages, not all together, but uh, individually and separately in various passages. And so two topics tonight, the rise of the Antichrist, and then secondly, God's dealings with the Jews again redemptively. Those are the two topics I'm going to try to get through in the time that we have allotted to us tonight. So let's look at the Antichrist. Now the word Antichrist is found only four times all in the writings of John. But this figure, this person, this individual is referred to under, under uh, different terms. But the word Antichrist itself is the term that we have used to really describe this person because he's going to be everything opposite to who Jesus is. But he's going he's to have a function very similar to what Jesus was and is. And that's the reason why he's called Antichrist, opposing to Christ. And there are three things that I call attention to about this person uh, to, uh, to get the biblical teaching. First, there is his person. Secondly, there is his power. And thirdly, there is his program. Now, that three alliterated, I don't use alliteration very much. Our former pastor, Brother Henson, used it almost invariably, but uh, I, I very rarely use it. And sometimes those who are fond of alliteration is illiteration. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, I do use it occasionally. There's the person of the Antichrist, the power of the Antichrist, and the program of the Antichrist. Now, with reference to his person, first of all, he is a real person. He will be a real person. He's called in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the man of sin. Now, I can't see that that simply is a principle. It's an individual, a man of sin. And that word sin, by the way, is the word lawlessness. That's one of the words for sin in the New Testament. He's a man of lawlessness. And then in the book of Revelation, uh, he has a number, uh, number 666, which the book of Revelation says is the number of man. He's identified as a human being and not simply a principle of lawlessness, but an individual who would take advantage of lawlessness. So he's to be a real person. Secondly, he will be a magnetic person. He will come with great, uh, with great charm, with great charisma. In fact, in the book of Revelation chapter 13, which I believe to be a, a chapter that gives details about this development in the tribulation period under the concept of the beast that's going to come. And, it's made, it, and this statement is made, and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given to him to continue 40 and two months. That's three and a half years. Uh, speaking great things. 
I don't know if, uh, if you've ever watched much about what led up to World War II. I, I, I like studying that and, uh, and the rise of Hitler. And you see some of the massive crowds that Hitler was able to spellbound with his eloquence. Uh, of course, it was in German. I couldn't understand anything to say, but I could feel the emotion. I could feel the, 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 the attraction that he had to the multitudes. And because of that, because of uh, Hitler's uh, program of anti-Jew, his persecution of the Jews, and because of his magnetism, uh, there were those students of the Bible in those days who thought Hitler was the Antichrist. But uh, we need to understand that the Antichrist is not going to be revealed and nobody is going to know who he is until after the rapture. In fact, in the days of Paul uh, writing to the Thessalonians, because of the, uh, the persecution that some of the Thessalonian believers were going through, and this was associated with the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, the terrible times that's going to be in the day of the Lord. Some of these Thessalonians thought that that day had come upon them. And so Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, no, this is not the day because it's something that's going to be taking place before the great day of the Lord, and that is the revelation of the Antichrist, the man of sin. And uh, there's something now that's keeping him uh, in the King James translation that uh, it says there's something that's letting him and it's going to let him or prevent him or, or uh, forbid him to come until that be taken out of the way. I read this. Uh, you know in verse 6 of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. And that which withholdeth him not until it's taken out of the way uh, will he be revealed. Now, what is, what is that letting him? What is that withholding him? Well, I believe it is the work of the Holy Spirit through believers. Believers are called the salt of this earth. And what is it that's keeping evil from having such a preeminence in society? It's the salting effect of believers the Holy Spirit through believers and believers will be taken out of the way that which is with restraining. There's a restrainer of the Antichrist at the present time. But he will come with a, with a personality that will be very attractive. And uh, of course we can see this in history how various individuals have been able to captivate crowds and multitudes through their magnetic personality. So he will be a real person. He will be a magnetic person. And thirdly, he will be an evil person. There's several terms that are used to speak about the wicked nature of the Antichrist. Now the very word anti, opposite to Christ. What, what Jesus is, he will be the opposite of. This term, man of sin, man of lawlessness, He's called the son of perdition. Now that simply means the characteristic feature of his life will be that which is below, that which is hell, that which is perdition. He's the one who opposes everything that God is for, everything that Christ is for. He exalteth himself 
with great exaltation. And his number, as we've already said, is 666. Now, as I've said, that number is, the, uh, is the, well, the book of Revelation says it's the number of man. And uh, probably this particular number of the Antichrist uh, results in much speculation as to, as to how this number is going to fit in. What does it mean? There is a symbolism of numbers in the book of Revelation and in the Bible, other places in the Bible. We know the significance of the number seven. There's a significance of the number 12, 12 tribes, 12 apostles. 12 is the number of representation in the scriptures. And seven is the number of completeness, seven days in a week. And uh, there's uh, the number six, and seven is a sacred number, a holy number. And six is short of seven. It has the idea of imperfection, the uh, a related idea of evil. And so his number is six, six, six. He is the, in, he is the personification of evil, just as Jesus is the personification of righteousness. And so 666 is his number. It really is symbolic of his evil nature. Now, what about that number is going to be given to his followers and those who do not have it will suffer greatly. Don't worry about your Social Security number. Don't worry about your credit card number. This is not something that a person can get not knowing. It's a something that a person really voluntarily choice submits to the Antichrist and his, the worship of him. Uh, you know, when the seminary started in Little Rock, would you believe that our prefix phone number was 666? And I believe Dr. Gray and, uh, must have put some pressure, but before we left Little Rock, we was only there three years of seminary, we got that, uh, that prefix uh, phone number changed, uh, 666, but it was. And some folks thought Mid-America Seminary was 666 in those days, by the way. Uh, but this number uh, is the number of the, of the Antichrist. It, it really is symbolic of his evil nature, and it's going to be a way of identifying his followers, and we'll speak about that a little bit later on. So there's his person. His person, he's a real person. He'll be a magnetic person. He will be a very evil person. Now his power, his authority, his power. There are just a couple of things I will indicate about that. First of all, it's source. Its source is obviously and very clearly in the scriptures, Satan. In Revelation chapter 13, which has already indicated is a significant section of scripture on the Antichrist under the form of a beast. And uh, here's what is said about this beast. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth was as a mouth of a lion. 
and the dragon. Now the dragon is obviously Satan. He's under the figure of a dragon, probably going back all the way to the Garden of Eden, coming in the form of a snake. And so in the book of Revelation, the dragon, always the dragon is a reference to Satan. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and his great authority. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9, you find this statement, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So the power behind the beast is none other than Satan himself. I almost tempted to, to digress a little bit here about, uh, uh, about the Trinity. There is an interesting uh, theory, uh, I call it a theory, but I think it probably has some biblical basis, that there are three archangels. Uh, there is, and, and, and only three are named in the scriptures, by the way. There is Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Lucifer was a, the devil, or the dragon was a former angel. And this particular viewpoint is that these three archangels correspond to the Trinity. Michael is characteristic of God the Father. Gabriel is characteristic of the Holy Spirit. And Lucifer was the angel for Jesus the Son. And the real conflict of the ages is between Lucifer and Jesus and we are in the midst of it and so Satan Lucifer is the source of the power of the Antichrist and the second thing about his power as I rush through this uh, is, his, is, is the nature of it now there are two things that I see emphasized about the nature and probably some other details could be given but I sum it up in two things number one his power will be miraculous Note in this, uh, again, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which is a very significant passage on the Antichrist. Even him who's coming, I've I read this verse 9, whose coming is after the working of Satan. Now note this, with all power and signs and lying wonders. Those are the three words, those are three, three terms in the New Testament that are used to describe the miracles of Jesus. There are three, three terms used in the New Testament that's used to describe miracles. Uh, there is a fourth term, but mainly these three terms are used to describe the miraculous ministry of Jesus. The word miracle, and it's translated in 2 Thessalonians as power. The word for miracle, the Greek word for miracle, by the way, translated miracle in the New Testament is the word dunamis. And the context will reveal what it's talking about, just uh, some other kind of power, whether it's a powerful event, a miracle. And then the word sign, samayam. And then the word uh, 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 wonder and uh, 
And here you have all three of those words that are used to describe the power of the Antichrist who's to come. Now, this power, uh, some would say lying wonders that, that, that it's deception. No, the result of his, lie, of his miraculous power is to deceive, but, these, but this will be really uh, miraculous power. So his, his power will be of a miraculous nature. And so don't, uh, don't be too excited every time you see somebody thinking they'll perform a miracle. It may have a satanic origin to it. Uh, these, these miracles have a satanic origin. And then the second thing about the power of the Antichrist, it will be absolute and universal in nature. There's coming, there is coming a world ruler coming because this Antichrist, this beast, this, this man of sin will be absolute in power throughout the whole world. Note again in Revelation 13, 7, it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given to him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. It will be universal and absolute. Now, in our democratic culture, we wonder how in the world could that ever possibly be? I think, and I don't want to get into politics here or anything, the pandemic uh, and disease, if you, you let certain crises take place in society and the whole world, most people will look for a solution. And sometimes that solution is centered in a person. And how easy that person can promise certain things and how willingly most of us will be to follow along with that if they can bring the uh, reality to those promises. A few years ago, well, it's been a number of years ago now, whenever trouble was in the Mideast, and it's still there, but uh, it was very troublesome times, and, uh, and there was an interview by the president of Egypt at that time was a man by the name of Andwar Sadat. Anybody remember that name? And here's what Andra Sadat said uh, in that time of crises. Said he would welcome the effort by the United States, the Soviet Union, or even the devil to bring peace to the Mideast. Let war occur, let pandemics occur, let a anarchy occur, uh, think about this now. We've seen some riots in recent days, going back before the march on the Capitol. If a riot broke out in Memphis and Little Rock and all of the state capitals of the United States, at one time, anarchy. How willing would we be to turn our lives over to someone who could bring peace out of that anarchy? I'm telling you, it's, it's within the realm of reality, and that is what 
I see about the Antichrist, how he'll be able to come and convince the world populace that he is something of a, of a economic and peace-loving savior and how willing people will be to turn over their lives to follow him. So his program, his, his power will be absolute and universal once he takes over. And now thirdly, his program, which is related, by the way, to his power. The program of the Antichrist centers around unity. There will be political unity. One world government. Uh, of course, we've, we've had advocates of that in our, uh, in our society for a long time. Uh, while the United Nations and before that the League of Nations went after the war trying to find some solution why the, to, to keep the world from going into another war. Uh, and, and so there's movements, movements toward trying to unite all the nations under a one system, a one government. Well, in the, in the tribulation period, that will be successful. There will be one world government, the unification of the government, the political unity. And then there will be religious unity. Not only will there be a one world government, but there will be a one world religious system. Now, some may call this a one world church. I don't have any particular opinion as to how this is going to be made up. Uh, some have... Uh, some uh, long-time Protestant scholars have considered the Roman Catholic Church to be the one world church. It does have the structure to it, but personally I see a, what, I, what I call a syncretism. Uh, back a number of years ago, uh, the, the historian Toynbee uh, advocated a syncretistic religion that is borrowing the good points of every religion and forming that into a one religion. Uh, I see that something as uh, what's going to take place in the tribulation period, but, the, but there's indication that there will be a one world religion. In fact, in Revelation chapter 13, uh, verse 8 and verses 11 and 12, in verse 8, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. You see, that's going to be the center of the, of the tension, the Antichrist, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. And I beheld another beast, down in verse 11 of chapter 13, coming up out of the earth and had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. Now this other beast, the first beast is the Antichrist. There's going to be another beast. He'll be the false prophet. He'll be the religious leader. He exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast. Now, here's the test if you want to, if, you, if, you, if you're afraid you may have the mark of the beast. When the six flags uh, started, it started in Texas. I was pastor of a church in Dallas, Texas at the time. And if you went into the Six Flags, they stamped you. You couldn't see. You couldn't see the stamp. 
but you had to put that under a light to get into the various activities. And I had a lot of folks scared to death that that was the mark of the beast. Well, it may be something similar to the mark of the beast will use, but you see, the mark of the beast will be put on those who agree to worship the beast. And the great majority of folks are going to do that for economic reasons, for peaceful reasons. But uh, his program is religious unity, a one world religion, and he will be the center of the worship of that. So the, uh, the person of the Antichrist, the power of the Antichrist, and the program. Now the second event, very quickly, God's dealings with the Jews again, redemptively. In the book of Revelation, I indicated that the opening of that fifth seal indicated that there will be believers during this period of time. Now, there'll be a brief time, but there won't be any believers. But in opening the fifth seal, there were those, John saw those that were beheaded for the testimony of the word of God. And so, who, where do these come from? Well, that's just given an introduction. And in the book of Revelation, there are details that are filled in. And so, in chapter 7, that follows the opening of the six seals in chapter 6, of the book of Revelation, John saw 144,000. 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. And I take that to be literal. I take that to be a reference to the Jews, and God sealed them. And to me, and others agree, that these 144,000 that will see Jesus as the Messiah. Now, they know about Jesus. The Jews who go into the tribulation, unbelievers, they know the Bible. They know the prophecies. And, uh, and, and of course, through, uh, through contact with Christians now, uh, and so they, they will recognize their error and believe, and God will seal them and protect them, and I believe them to become evangelist throughout this period of time. Uh, God's dealings with the Jews, again, redemptively. Now, <clears throat> time is just about to expire on me, but uh, really, to set the stage of this, to, to give a full biblical view of this, you have to go back to the covenants that God made with the Jews. There are two specific covenants that are related to God's dealings with the Jews redemptively in the future. One is the covenant that he made with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. You find this first stated in Genesis chapter 12. Then it's repeated as he, uh, through, the book, through the book of Genesis and often made reference to by the prophets throughout the whole Old Testament. And in the covenant that God made with Abraham, you find uh, three main features of it. God promised a land. God promised descendants, a people. 
And God promised a blessing of redemption. The Messiah seed would come through him, through, through Abraham and through his descendants. And then when you come to uh, the New Testament, when you come to the, uh, the book of Romans particularly deals with this issue. Paul has expounded the, the doctrine of justification by faith in chapters 1 through 8. And then the question arose in Paul's day. If this is God's plan of redemption, which has mainly been received by the Gentiles, then what about the Jews? Why aren't the Jews believing it? And Paul answers that question in, Re in Romans chapters 9 through 11. And when you get to chapter 11, you find the word of God saying that the Jews are going to be saved. There's going to be a time when the Jews, not, not because they're Jews, Jews are lost, a Jew that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ dies in that state of unbelief will be just like a Gentile. will be in hell. But yet God has a plan and God has a purpose for this people. And, he, and, 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 and his purposes are not going to fail. And so in the 11th chapter of the book of Romans, Paul says, it's possible for Jews to be saved if they will believe. It's not only possible, but it's probable that the Jews are going to be saved. Now, I'm sort of paraphrasing this. I'd like to go and read and specifically point this out through the Scriptures. He says, if God grafted us Gentiles in to the true branch, how much more is he going to regraft the true branch in? It's not only possible for Jews to be saved, it's probable that they're going to be saved. And then he predicts their salvation. When the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then all Israel will be saved. Yes, my friends, God predicts there's going to be a great turning of Jewish people to Jesus as Messiah one of these days. Now, when's that going to occur? It's not occurred since the New Testament times. Now, the first believers were Jews. The first Baptist church was made, out of Jew, made up of Jews. The first Baptist church of Jerusalem I'm talking about. Uh, and, uh, but there came a time when, the, when Jews rejected. You know the account of Paul. Paul was the great apostle to the Gentiles. And more than once in the book of Acts, he says... I dust uh, uh, my feet off against you. I turn to the Gentiles. And by the time the New Testament closed, very few Jews were receiving Jesus as Messiah, which is true still today. God's great redemptive program is now through the Gentiles. But that's going to reverse back in the time of the tribulation period as I understand the scriptures. And so here's what, 
Here's what the future of the Jews is, which I believe to take place in this period of time. There's going to be restoration. He'll restore them geographically, bring them back to Israel. We've seen that, by the way, that trickling of that. Now, there's going to be a national restoration. What I mean by that, you know, in the after Solomon, the nation of Israel split into two, Judah and Ephraim, or Judah and Israel. And there's going to be a time when they'll not envy each other anymore and be brought together. And then thirdly, there will be spiritual restoration. They'll believe. Well, that's sort of hasty through that. And probably we need to give a study on each one of those points, but we need to not prolong this. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.